Welcome to Northgate Christian Fellowship's weekly message series. And now, here is Senior Pastor Ken Jensen. The church that I grew up in, we had a home visitation evangelism program, HVE for short. And uh, it involved 10 weeks of intensive training in which you had to memorize a five-point outline and 20 corresponding scripture verses and 15 illustrations, three illustrations per point. Of this. And, and we, what we would do is we had to go through this 10 weeks of training. We'd memorize all this stuff. We'd get this whole thing down backwards and forwards. And each week what we would do is we'd get together and we'd practice on each other. You know, we'd practice sharing and we'd be someone scoring, make sure we hit all the points in the outline and got all the scriptures right. And you had to be in King James Version, word for word, no mistakes, you know, the whole thing. And then, and then on top of that, after we've done all that, then we would go out. And we would knock on doors of perfect strangers, interrupt them in the middle of their own one quiet evening at home. We'd interrupt their TV programs. We'd ask them if we could come in and share with them the love of Jesus. <laughs> Believe it or not, as crazy as that sounds, there were people that came to faith in Christ because of that. But I got to be honest with you. I went through all that training, and it was helpful, and it was nice to, to get a handle on what the essentials of the gospel were and, and gave me greater boldness and everything. But in all honesty, it felt so unnatural and so forced and just so uncomfortable. And I would literally, and I, this is really a difficult thing for a pastor to admit, but as we were in the car driving to the homes of the people we were going to visit, and this is a real theological problem for me because I was really on the inside praying nobody would be home. <laughs> I'm not sure how to reconcile that theologically. <laughs> But it just felt so unnatural, and it was, it was good. It worked, and, and it certainly boosted my own confidence, but, but in truth, it just didn't feel natural. It didn't feel right, and I thought, there's got to be a better way. And I remember looking through the Scripture and trying to figure out, well, what did Jesus do? How did Jesus do this? And you know what I found out? He did it differently every time. See, he didn't have an outline, five-point outline that he hit with all the backup scriptures and all that. What he did was something quite, sim- quite more simple. He shared his life with people. Sadly, the picture that most believers, in fact, sadly, the picture that most unbelievers have about this thing we call evangelism or sharing our faith, our faith is something more along the lines of what I, des- what I described. Something uncomfortable, something forced, uh, confronting perfect strangers about things that, that are of imtor- ipor- eternal, important significance, but which they have no interest in whatsoever. We knock on doors, we stand on street corners, and there's got to be a better way. We all know it's important stuff. We all know it's imperative. It's eternal kind of stuff. But there's got to be a better way. For the last couple of weeks, we have been looking at simple faith. We've been looking through... John's letter, his first letter, uh, the letter First John. And, and what John says, this is the essential stuff. This is the important stuff. If you boil it all down to the simplicity of what our faith is all about, this is it. Simply connecting with God. Simply caring for other people. Simply serving Him in this world. And the last thing, which we're going to talk about this morning, is simply sharing And what does that mean? What does it mean to simply share? John wrote about it. In fact, he wrote about it at the beginning of the letter, and he closes the letter with the same thought, same idea. This is what he wrote. 1 John chapter 1. Here is what we announce to everyone about the word of life. 
He was already here from the beginning. We have heard him. We have seen him with our eyes. We have looked at him. Our hands have touched him. That life has appeared, and we have seen him. We give witness about him, and we announce to you that the same etern- that, that same eternal life. He was already with the Father, and he has appeared to us. We announce to you what we have seen and heard, and we do so that you can share life together with us. And we share life with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We are writing this to make our joy complete. And then he ends the letter with these words. Here's a testimony. God has given us eternal life, and that life is found in his Son. Those who belong to the Son have life. Those who do not belong to the Son of God do not have life. I'm writing these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, and I'm doing so that you will know that you have eternal life. That's what it came down to for John. That's what his letter was all about, making sure that people understood what God had for them. And it's not about memorizing an outline or producing a sales pitch. It's rather simply sharing. Sharing. Sharing life. Simply sharing your life. That's what John says. The greatest thing in the world, the greatest thing in this world is to share life. To share life with other people and to share that life together with God. That's what he says. We announce to you what we've seen and heard. We do it so that you can share life together with us. And we share life with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We are writing this to make our joy complete. He says there is nothing better. There's nothing more joyful. There's nothing more fulfilling. There is nothing greater in this world than that the people I love know the God that I love. And that they know that the God who loves me loves them too. He says, that's it. There is no greater thing in this world than that. That the people I love know the God I love. And they know that the God who loves me loves them too. That's why he writes this letter. And he says, that's where my source of joy is. That's what gets me going. When people make that kind of a connection. Over this past week, every one of us in this room interacted with people. Probably somewhere in the neighborhood of about 100 people over the last week. You, you rubbed shoulders with, you touched base with, you interacted with in some way, shape, or form. It might have been the grocery clerk, you know, at the, at the supermarket. It might have been your barista, you know, at Starbucks or, you know, someone across the table from you at Denny's. I don't know what it is. It might have been the cop that wrote the ticket, you know, for you this week. <laughs> Some of you are going, how did he know that? <laughs> we have spies. No, it's just the law of averages. In the room, this is somebody here got a ticket. And it was given by a cop. And you interacted with that person. And you interacted with complete strangers and you interacted with casual acquaintances, and you interacted with close friends and family. Some of them you shared life deeply with this week. Others you just simply shared space on an elevator for a short ride. But you interacted with somewhere in the neighborhood of probably about 100 people this past week, and every one of them matters to God. Every one of them are loved by Him. A couple weeks ago, I told you to think about your relationships and, and kind of in, in terms of concentric circles, that there's this outer circle of acquaintances and people that you just kind of, you know, you see from time to time, or maybe they're coworkers, but there's no real relationship there. But inside that bigger circle, there's a, there's a smaller circle. And, and that's maybe people that you interact with on a regular basis and you have a little bit of a, of, a, of a relationship with, a little bit of a friendship. But inside that circle, there are those that are really close friends of yours. 
Now, what I want to ask you this morning is when you think about those circles in your life and those different types of relationships, who populates those circles for you? Who are the people in each of those circles, particularly in those inner circles of your life? Because the sad truth is that the longer I have been a Christ follower, the fewer friends I have who are not Christ followers. Statistically, the longer someone has been a Christian, the less friends they have in their inner circle that are Christians, that are not Christians. And that's somewhat natural because we start sharing life together and we start building those kinds of relationships and we start learning and growing together and we start helping each other in this process of growth in this life that God has given to us together. And we share that in community and that's an important thing. But if you're not careful, every one of your close friends becomes just church people, other Christ followers. And there needs to be an intentionality about the relationships in my life that I invite other people who are not necessarily Christ followers, into those inner circles of my life. Let me ask you, who's going to be at your Super Bowl party this afternoon? That's a pretty good indicator of who the close ones in your life. When you just want to hang out and not have to, you know, put on airs and not just just kind of hang out together, who are the people that you hang out with? See, the truth is that while statistically the longer I am a Christ follower, the less time I spend with those who are not Christ followers, just the opposite should be happening. Because the more that I understand God's depth of love for me, the more that I, that I understand his love for this whole world, the wider my arms ought to be. The more welcoming, the more inclusive my relationships ought to be. That's really what God wants to do. Look at Jesus' example. Jesus did not hang out with religious people. In fact, he intentionally hung out with irreligious people. And the thing about it was that, that even if those people didn't necessarily believe in him, or believe in what he was teaching, they still liked being with him. They still hung out with him. You know why? Because they knew he liked them. He genuinely liked them. He loved them. Start with the people that you already know. Invite people into those closer circles of relationships that you have in your own life intentionally engage in life with other people. John wrote, no one has ever seen God, but if we love each other, God lives in us and his love is brought to full expression in us. In other words, nobody's seen God, but if we are loving in the way that God loves, people will see that. They will see a measure of God in our lives. In fact, Jesus said the very same thing. By this, everyone will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. The level of relationships in your life are a perfect demonstration of the love of God if they are inclusive, if they are opening of arms. Because really, the longer I'm a Christian, the wider my arms ought to be, the more inclusive my relationships ought to be. That is Jesus' style. Now, here's the thing I have found for my own life, particularly being a pastor, that it is really easy to have all of my friends be Christians. (laughs) I got a lot of people in my circle of friendships in this church. (laughs) And so I have found, even from day one, way back 17 years ago when we started Northgate, I had to be intentional about making friends outside of my church. Of course, in the early days, nobody was coming to my church, so everybody was outside my church. (laughs) (laughs) But as we have grown and as my responsibilities have grown here at Northgate... I have found I have to be more and more intentional. And so I have found over the last 17 years as many ways as possible to connect with people outside of my church. 
And when our kids were younger, we did it because we got involved in Little League and, and, and soccer, and we served on the soccer board, and I refereed, and I umpired, because it was, it was the only chance I had to get away from church people. No offense. <laughs> but I had to be intentional about it. More recently, as our kids have grown and kind of gotten out of the soccer Little League stage and kind of, you know, married and off on lives of their own, more recently in my life, what I've done it is through sailing. Because I love to sail. And I love people who love to sail. And so it's a natural connection. So that's one of the things that I have done. I have built relationships with friends who are sailors. And believe me, there's a lot of them that are irreligious people. (laughs) And that's a good thing. Because when you intentionally engage in relationships with people, and you begin to do life together, opportunities open up. And now you're not just sharing your life. You begin to really share your stories your life stories, because you get to know people. See, God's love is not exclusive. John writes, Jesus Christ gave his life to pay for our sins, but he not only paid for our sins, he also paid for the sins of the whole world. That God loves everybody. That Christ died for everybody. That this is not an exclusive thing. And by the way, that is a radical thought from John's time. That was a radical teaching of Jesus Christ because the common belief in that time was God loves religious people. God loves righteous people. God loves chosen people. And Jesus comes along and he says, no, God loves everybody. I came to give my life for the whole world. And John picks up what he heard Jesus saying from his own mouth and he keeps passing this torch on to the next generation. God died Christ died for the sins of the whole world, not just for your holy huddle. And what I have found over the course of my own life and in my own friendships is that God has been loving me all of my life, often without my realizing it. And the other thing that I have discovered is God has been loving the friends in my life all through their life, often without them realizing it. And what happens when you start to share stories is you begin to discover those God God moments in other people's lives. You begin to see and maybe help them see God's been loving them all along. God has been working in their relationships. God has been working through the difficult times of their life. God has been doing all of these things in their life all along, whether they saw him or not, because he loves them. Let me tell you just one story of a friend named Deb. I first met Deb Six or seven years ago. I met her because she and her husband, Sean, owned a J-24. That's a sailboat. And and I crewed on another J-24, and we raced in the same fleet. And so they were kind of acquaintances. I kind of sort of knew them, and we kind of, you know, after the race, we'd go up to the club because that's when the results would be announced up at the... the, um, uh, yacht club after the races, and so we'd all go up there, and we'd hang out, and we'd gloat over the boats that we beat. You know, that's kind of what sailors do. And, um, and so that's where I first met her, and I met her with her husband, Sean. Well, the next year, her husband contracted cancer, and about six months later, he passed away. And then a friend of mine who I crewed with named Eric asked me, he said, we're going we're gonna to go scatter Sean's ashes out on the strait. Would you come and do something religious? <laughs> I don't think he quite put it that way, but that's in essence what he was saying. Could you kind of do, because you're a pastor, you do religious things. Come, come do something religious. Now, I had never really gotten to know Deb. I just knew her as, you know, someone on another boat. 
And I didn't really ever get to meet Sean all that much. So, so now I'm being asked, and I said, you know, hey, whatever I can do. So, so Eric kind of set it up, because he knew Deb better than I did, and so he, you know, he set it up. So I went over to Deb's house, and I said, well, what would you like me to do? He said, well, I'm not a particularly religious person. Oh, that's great. <laughs> now what am I going to do? And Sean wasn't all that religious of a person either. But if you want to say a few words or maybe read a Bible verse or something, that would be kind of nice. I said, I will do whatever you want me to do. I don't want to intrude. I don't want to, you know, but if I, whatever I can do to help, I'll do that. And, and so a friendship kind of started there. And actually the next year, when it came to the racing season, Eric sold his boat. And, and because Deb didn't have a crew anymore, um, we all moved over to Deb's boat. And we started racing with Deb. And, um, and for over the last six years now or so, five, six years, I can't remember how many it's been. It kind of just becomes a blur after a while. But over the last five or six years now, the core of that crew has been Eric, Deb, and me. Other crew members have kind of come and gone and filled in. And stuff, but that's the core. And we have built a real good friendship together. Three years ago, Deb met Joel. And Joel became a part of the crew. And Joel became a part of Deb's life. And I was honored when Deb asked me, would you do our wedding? So two years ago, I got to preside at the wedding for Joel and Deb. And our friendship has deepened over the years. Now, Joel's my friend too. And two years ago, Joel and Deb became a part of our small group for a time and went through a couple of our small group studies. And, and over the years now, Joel and Deb have kind of showed up and from time to time become part of our Sunday morning worship. But something Deb said to me about a year ago, she said, you know, and, and I hope I get this exact, I don't have it exactly right, but she said to me, you have awakened a spiritual side of me that has been dormant for a long time. <laughs> Whoa. See, I love sailing with Deb and Joel. I love hanging out with Deb and Joel. We've had them over our house. We've been over their house. We got a friendship. And the greatest thing in the world to me is the thing that John talked about. Greatest thing in the world to me would be that the friends that I love know the God that I love. And they would understand that the God who loves me loves them too. And that's all I want to do. I don't want to hit people overhead with a Bible. I don't want to go through a you know, sales presentation. I just want people to know that Jesus loves them. And that's my, jo that's my job. That's my goal. Just that they would know that God loves them. And he wants them to love him back. At the end of the racing season last year, we had a crew dinner. Betty and I just said, hey, let's have everybody over. Just kind of end of the season, you know, let's kind of just get together one last time before, you know, we go our separate ways until April. And so we did this. Um, we, we had everybody over, the whole crew over our house, and we, uh, you know, did a nice barbecue and, you know, had a good time. We just sat around the table and finished eating, and we were talking. And, just, and I'm not really even sure how the subject came up, except that somewhere along the line, start Things, I guess maybe come to a pastor, things kind of end up talking about church somewhere along the line. And, and, and so I, I, I kind of asked one, um, it was actually Eric's wife, and I just said, you know, I'm curious, because you kind of showed up, you've been a few times to my church, what, what's your story? 
Tell me your story. And so she started to tell her story and some of the God moments in her life. And then Eric shared his story. And then Matt, who is Deb's son, who was on our crew that year, shared a little bit of his story. And Deb shared her story. And Joel shared his story. And Betty shared her story. And then everybody looked at me and said, so? (laughs) What's your story? (laughs) And I said, you know, if I could boil it down to one thing, it's this. Most of my life, I tried to earn God's love. Most of my life, I thought it was all about being a good person and a righteous person and doing the right things and not doing the wrong things and just doing everything I can to be as acceptable and loved by God as I possibly could. And the greatest news I ever heard in my life was I don't have to do that because he already loves me. And the greatest news that I've ever heard in my life was that before I loved God, he loved me. And that has changed my life. That has changed the kind of person I am. It has changed the kind of direction I've taken with my life. It has changed the way that I am a pastor. And then the conversation changed and we moved on and okay. And I thought, okay, well, was that a success? If it helped them see that God loves them and somehow pointed them a little bit closer, because that's all I want to do. That's all I want to do. And that's really what John did If you read through, all he is saying is, this is what I experienced. He says, Jesus Christ gave his life to pay for our sins. Not only our sins, he also paid for the sins of the whole world. We have heard him, he says. We have seen him with our eyes. We have looked at him. Our hands have touched him. John is saying, I was an eyewitness to this. This is what I saw. This is what I heard. This is who I touched. Now, none of us in this room were around 2,000 years ago, but every one of us in this room that have become followers of Jesus Christ have heard God speak to our hearts. We've all felt his touch on our life from time to time. We have all seen transformation because of his work in us. And that's all you got to share. Share your story. And if that's too difficult, here's something even simpler. Invite. Invite your friends. That's what Jesus' first followers did. The first one that Jesus called was a man named Andrew. And it says the first thing that Andrew did was find his brother Simon and tell him, we found the Messiah. A little bit later, Nathaniel, Philip, um, Philip finds Jesus. And Philip goes and finds Nathaniel. And he tells him, we found the one Moses wrote about. All they did was say, you got to meet this guy. Come with me. you got to meet this guy. He is, he is like no one I've ever met before. He, he, is the, he is what I've been looking for all of my life. And all they did was invite And you can do that. You don't have to be a biblical scholar. You don't have to be a theologian. All you got to do is invite. And let me tell you, it's why we designed the church at Northgate here the way that we did. Because I'll tell you the honest truth, the church I grew up in was a really good church. I loved the people in that church, but it was not a church I felt comfortable inviting my friends to. Because I really wasn't sure what was going to happen every Sunday. Because sometimes we had good music. And sometimes not so good. (laughs) And sometimes the teacher or the preacher was really good and right on. And sometimes he was so confusing, I had no clue what he was talking about. And so one of the things that we have tried to do here as much as we possibly can at Northgate is to give you a place you can invite your friends. 
that you can count on. We're going to give it our best effort, and we're going to do the music the best that we can, and we're going to make it a celebration of God's goodness and God's love. And when we teach, we're going to teach in a way that everybody could understand, whether you have years of background in Bible and theology, or you've never heard about Jesus in your life. We're going to talk to you in a way that you can understand it. And we don't always hit that 100%, but that's our goal. So that you can invite your friends and be comfortable about that. It's all about sharing stories. And when you do that, when you share life and when you share stories, something happens. Because in that mix, the natural outgrowth of a relationship like that that is growing and deepening is sometimes you get the the chance to share the message of grace, which is what it's all about. Let me ask you just this morning by a show of hands, how many here in this room who have become a follower of Jesus, how many here in this room came to faith and put your faith in Jesus Christ because somewhere, somewhere along the line, somebody stopped and took time to explain it to you? Raise a hand. Hi. Okay. Now, keep your hands up. Keep your hands up. How many wish that person had kept their big mouth shut and not bothered you and minded their own business? Oh. Well, maybe a few of you. Okay, I don't know. The truth is, the way that people always come to faith is because somebody takes the time to share it. And when people truly come to faith, they are grateful for the one who shared it with them. What's the worst that could happen? You might mess up. Yeah, you might. You may not have all the answers. Probably you won't. Take the chance. John says the message of Jesus is good news. This is how God showed his love to us, he writes. He sent his one and only son into the world so that we could have life through him. He sent his son to die in our place to take away our sin. Pure and simple, God wants for you and for me to have life. That's what he wants. Not rules, not religion, not doctrine, not a moral and ethical compass, not something to do on Sunday mornings now that football season is over. (laughs) He wants us to have life. That's it. And he says that life is found in Jesus. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has life. Why? Why is it found in Jesus? Because only Jesus came to do what nobody else could do. Only Jesus came to take care of the thing that separates us from life. And that is sin. At its simplest, that is sin. That's what sin is. It's the thing that separates us from life. It's the thing that junks up our relationships. It's the thing that gets us off track. It's the thing that makes us make decisions that we shouldn't be making and then feel sorry for later and deal with all the guilt and all that other stuff. It's sin. That's the problem. And Jesus is the only one who did something about that. Sin. Literally, the word sin means to miss the mark. If you were a golfer or, or maybe a tennis player or maybe, maybe baseball is your thing, okay, uh, on, the tennis, on the tennis racket, um, on the golf club head, um, on the bat, there is a place that is called the sweet spot, okay? You know you have hit the sweet spot 
when your drive goes right down the fairway the way you wanted it to. <laughs> and it goes further than it's ever gone before. You have hit the sweet. I do that once every 10 years, something like that. <laughs> and it feels so good because you know that's the way this game is supposed to be played. <laughs> or when you play tennis and you, and you hit that shot and it just aces the serve and you hit the sweet spot, you know it. And it feels good because that's the way the game is supposed to be played. And when you can hit that ball out of the park, because you hit the sweet spot, it feels so good because it's the way the game's supposed to be played. And that's what life is like. Life with Jesus is the way it's supposed to be lived. And when you're hitting the sweet spot, you know it. But most of us, in fact, all of us, don't hit the sweet spot. Most of us, if I described your spiritual life, it's like my golf game. <laughs> Slices and shanks and dribblers and pop-ups and you never know where it's going. Jesus came to give us life as it was designed to be lived. The problem is that we've all got this sin problem and that's what gets in the way. And it might be obvious or it might be hidden, but the truth is every one of us have it. And you can't ignore it, and it's not going to go away on its own. Somewhere along the line, we got to deal with it. Jesus died on the cross. He absorbed the pain and the, the suffering of sin and death so that we could have life. That's it, in a nutshell. And what we've got to do in response to that is own up. That's what John says. If we claim to be without sin... We deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. We're just fooling ourselves. But, he says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. He will not only undo the past. He will not only take care and forgive of what we've already messed up on. He will help us live a better life. He will change the direction of our life, and that is good news. That is worth sharing. Will we be perfect at it? No. Will we stumble over our words sometimes? Yeah. Will we have all the answers to people's questions? Not likely. But we can share life. And we can share our story. And we can share this faith that has transformed us. Over the next couple of weeks, we're starting a new series next week just to kind of help you get a better handle on how you can do that in your own life with your own friends. But I want to leave with you this morning the best place you can start and the most natural way you can do it. Start sharing life. Start sharing stories. And look for the opportunities to share God's story. And if you're afraid of that, it makes you all nervous. Don't do it because you gotta. Don't do it because it's required. Do it because you love the people around you. That's what John says. There's no fear in love. Perfect love drives out fear. You can be confident if you're sharing life and you're sharing stories together. You get the chance to share God's story. Would you bow your heads with me? Admittedly, most of us in this room here are already Christ followers. But today, if you're not sure 
If you've never maybe fully understood what this was all about, you never made a conscious choice or decision about it, you can. It's not hard. It's a free gift. All you got to do is accept it. Jesus already paid the price. He's done everything that needs to be done. That's why he died on the cross. He took death upon himself so that you could have life. And all you got to do to get started in this new life is admit it. Admit your own guilt. Confess is the word the Bible uses. Confess your sin. And then accept his forgiveness because he said he will. If you confess it, he'll forgive you. Accept his forgiveness. And then give your life to him. Follow in his ways. Let him show you how life is meant to be lived. And if you're here this morning and God's been speaking to your heart, something deep inside and saying that's the missing piece that's a thing you've never done I want to invite you this morning to make a decision about it and everybody's got their eyes closed nobody's looking around but if you want to make that decision today would you just look up and catch my eyes look up and keep looking up so I can acknowledge you I want want to see because I want to pray for you specifically is there anyone God does. And I just want to invite you in a very simple prayer to do exactly what John talks about. And it goes something like this. Lord, I've messed up. I've missed the sweet spot. I need your forgiveness. Here and now, I own up to it. I confess. I need your forgiveness. Thank you that you loved me enough to die for me. Now, please forgive me. Put your life in me and let me live in a new way by your leading, by your power, by your strength, changing me from the inside out. In Jesus' name. Now, if you're here and you've already made that decision, what I'd like to encourage you to do right now is just for a moment, think about the people in your life and just make a decision that this year, 2008, You're going to start doing better at sharing life. You're going to listen to people's stories and take an interest in them. You're going to look for those opportunities that God opens up to tell them about God's love for them. And just make a determination this morning to say, I'm going to do that, Lord. If you'll open up those opportunities, I'll take them. Because there's nothing greater in this world for me that the people I love know you who I love and that they would know that you don't just love me you love them too I want to be a part of pointing them in your direction and that's my choice this morning and I'm committing myself to it Lord thank you for your grace it is amazing it is unfathomable. It is beyond belief. It's a matter of faith. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for giving yourself for me. 
Thank you for giving me life. May my life, my life, reflect it to those around me, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message. We trust that you'll join us again soon for another uplifting message from Northgate Christian Fellowship located in Venetia, California.